Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletaub from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Chicago is Marla Burkow. Marla is Corporate Compliance Officer for Gateway Foundation. And today we're going to be talking about behavioral health care and restorative justice in the healthcare setting. First, Marla, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. And glad to have you. Um, so first, let's start with sort of the basics. Can you give us a top line overview of the key compliance risks for behavioral health care? Uh, sure. For me, my key risks are safety, and that's an organizational priority, creating a culture of safety, and privacy. Uh, not only client privacy, but privacy of our organization. So. Uh, since safety culture is such a big priority in all healthcare right now, um, specifically behavioral healthcare, um, it's part of my focus as well, even though it's not a traditional uh, corporate compliance goal. Um, but we are very focused on emotional safety as well as physical safety uh, for our staff, for our clients, and um, having a strong culture of reporting support, supports a safety culture. So I am very focused on having a strong culture of reporting, not only for our privacy incidents, but our other uh, medical or safety incidents, as well as compliance incidents. Other uh, issues, you know, um, center around staffing, um, staff training and development. It's a high burnout field, so with high turnover, um, it's very important to be consistent with a training schedule. So that's a big focus as well. And training is important, not just for compliance, but in general, investing in the staff and building the right culture. Now, behavioral health patients are often a part of pre and post sentencing diversion programs. How does that impact compliance efforts? Uh, good question. Well, it impacts our partnership. Definitely. And in Illinois, we're really a pioneer um, and a front runner in uh, diversion and deflection programs. Um, if you look at the Biden administration's Model Deflection Act, it's based off of Illinois. So um, we have partnerships um, with numerous entities that uh, work together with us to uh, divert individuals uh, who don't need to be in the justice system. So that uh, impacts our contracting and information sharing. So um, according to the confidentiality of substance use disorder patient records regulation, um, 42 CFR part two, it's known as part two, uh, an authorization from the patient is required to share information for purposes of care coordination. So um, the authorization form is uh, much more detailed than a standard HIPAA authorization form. The patient determines the amount and kind of information to be shared, and that's even for care coordination. So that is something that impacts our uh, partnerships with these programs. Um, the clientele also, um, a client who's been referred uh, from a diversion or deflection program may have been uh, just as involved or otherwise underserved. Um, so that is from a healthcare uh, or community services standpoint. Um, so these folks are being given an opportunity to be in treatment instead of jail sometimes. Um, we have warm handoff programs with hospitals, and that permits someone who's been hospitalized as a result of a drug overdose 
to bypass justice system involvement and participate in treatment programming and recovery services. So um, our staff, um, non-clinical staff, um, so staff who are not trained counselors, so that's even our nurses and um, our administrative staff, they need to be trained um, to support a therapeutic environment. Well, wow, it's fascinating, very complex. Now, behavioral health is about restoring people to health. And you pointed out in um, the article you'd written for Compliance Today that when medical mistakes are made, there's a need to restore the patient and the institution to health, uh, which I thought was a really fascinating analogy. And you said that begins with initial assessment. What are the steps mm -hmm. organizations should take at this phase? Well, um, an, an assessment tool, uh, which was published in my Compliance Today article, it's been developing for several months. I'm, I'm grateful to um, Compliance Today for publishing it. Um, there's no patent pending. It's designed to be a reference tool for anyone to use. Um, but it was designed to provide, to provide some guidance um, over how I assess potential compliance issues and um, particularly issues that overlap with uh, our quality function and is really based off of a um, joint commission uh, standard you know uh, if you will or a recommendation to have a mechanism in place uh, to support uh, a just culture and to be sure that uh, somebody who has made an inadvertent error is not being punished for it um, and that also supports a culture of safety because it's so, it uh, encourages reporting and supports reporting. So um, it's, it's within that lens and that context that the whole um, assessment tool uh, was developed. And so um, the idea is that um, we should focus on intent. So if someone had no intention of making this medical error or other error who um, made a completely inadvertent error, um, focus on that rather than the outcome. So um, I believe it's very unfair to say, well, you did this completely inadvertently. It's a completely um, unintentional mistake, but because you had this bad outcome, we're going to punish you. Does that well, make sense? It yeah, no, I totally understand what you're and saying. That's a culture that develops a safer culture. And well, and a safer, safer, an emotionally <laughs> and physically safer culture is a, a, a better one, obviously, and is the goal. Now, yeah. this is followed, you argue, by a restorative uh, question step. Can you tell us what that is? Sure. Using restorative questions is a well-known classroom management technique and teaching tool. And um, if you're interested, uh, any of your listeners would like to see some ready-made resources, they're online. You can just uh, search for restorative questions. But essentially, responding with restorative questions um, may mean asking, what do you think could have caused this to happen instead of who did this? or uh, what do you think we could do to prevent this from happening again in the future, uh, which doesn't ex exclude anyone. So we ask those questions even to the people who may have been involved in creating the error. Um, ask everyone, what do you think you know, could have prevented this? Or what do you think we could do moving forward to prevent this? So 
when you don't punish the people who are involved, then you can include them in the um, remediation and mitigation. And for the long term, obviously, we need to have things mitigated and restored. Now, can you walk us through the remaining steps in the process you developed? So uh, keep in mind, this, this forms a tool. And, um, you know, after you assess your incident or issue and you're sure that nobody um, did it on purpose, acted maliciously, et cetera, um, the terms victim and second victims, those are really terms of art. Um, the language is important uh, because victim and second victim um, don't create an us and them mentality the way victim perpetrator would have the potential to do. Um, and uh, we believe it's a false dichotomy. And uh, especially with medical errors and safety incidents. Um, but for me, privacy privacy incident, security incident, it, re it really lines up. So I use this uh, definitely when I assess privacy incidents, confidentiality issues, security matters, and the terminology is just more appropriate and reflective of the situation. So we want to create an impression of fairness and we want to be perceived as fair and just. So that is why I use those terms. Um, victim, second victim, and then the action steps, um, you know, make a recommendation. Um, you can do all these things without issuing any kind of punishment. So if it's completely inadvertent error, you can just work to find out what happened, uh, resolve the issue, make sure everyone's taken care of, make sure they're included in the solution, um, set up a conference, um, make some recommendations, um, I actually have not had a discussion circle so much, um, but it is in the literature, so I put it in. But honestly, when I do Zoom uh, conferences, it does feel like a like a real discussion circle. Um, I think it's a it's a really nice way to conference, um, and we're just all there talking. So um, the vocabulary is important, and the words carry a certain connotation, and it essentially frames your inquiry or your investigation. So I wanted my compliance function to fit into the behavioral health care space. So um, that is why, you know, I chose to move forward with this tool and start to implement it. Well, thank you for sharing the tool with not only the readers of Compliance Today, but also with the listeners of the podcast here. Uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Schroeltaup from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we were able to expand your compliance perspective.